So this morning, we are finishing up uh, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I'm excited about it. So Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 through 15 again, Matthew 6, 5 through 15, it'll be on the screens here, or if you got it with you, or at home. Um, Before we read, let's pray together. But again, we say thank you uh, for this place and for this book, for your word. Uh, Come, Holy Spirit, upon us. Uh, Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Open our hearts. Change us, transform us. Do whatever it is you need to do in us to make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5 again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father, your father knows what you need before you ask. This then, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Ooh, that last part makes me go, whoa. So, so we're at the end. This is, this is the last. We're going to sort of, in a little bit, I'll, I'll uh, remind us where we've been as we've walked through this prayer uh, slowly, uh, and then we'll finish it up. But before we do that, uh, a story. Uh, so this is one of those moments in the life of one of your children that you'll never forget. Um, so here's, here's how it all went down. Uh, Renee and I were in the kitchen, and we were trying to figure out what in the world we were going to have for dinner that night when we heard a, a noise from the living room that, um, that we didn't like, you know. Uh, it was two-year-old Caleb at the time, and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, no, no, stop, stop, right? And so I poked my head around the corner to see what was going on in the living room, and I see Samuel, four years old at the time, doing something I was normally very proud of at the time, palming a basketball. Loved to play with his little, his little basketball. We still have it and still play with it, by the way. Um, normally, I'm proud of him because he's palming that thing and he's getting ready to shoot, only this time he wasn't getting ready to shoot it. Uh, he was taking the basketball and as slowly and methodically as he could, was banging the back of Caleb's head with it. And Caleb was screaming, no! No, stop, stop. So 
I did what any good parent would do, right? I went, went around and I, I said, Samuel, and he looks at me like he can't believe that he just got caught, right? Go to your room. And he looks up at me and says, no. And so I say to him, as slowly and methodically as he was hitting his brother in the back of the head with a ball, I say, Samuel, go to your room. You know that dad voice, the slow, you're with me. Uh, moms do it too, sometimes better. Anyway, uh, so he was slouching shoulders. He takes his little ball and he goes into the room and shuts the door. I leave him in there for four minutes, one minute for each life, each, each day or each year he's spent on this planet. Um, and then I go in after time is up and I open the door and I flip on the light and there he is. He's sitting in the glider that we used to rock him in when he was like this big. Uh, and I think to myself, okay, good, he's calmed down. And I, I take a seat on the ottoman so that we can be eyeball to eyeball. And I ask him a question. I say, Samuel, do you know why I gave you a timeout? And he says, because I was pushing Caleb. And I said, oh, so you were pushing him too. And he says, oh, because I was just bonking him on the head with my basketball. And I said, yeah. I don't ever want to see that again. And he looks up at me and he says, I didn't want you to see it the first time. <laughs> oh, so good. And now he's 16 and never does anything like that. Um, I didn't want you to see it the first time. I didn't want you to see it. That tells me he didn't, he didn't want me to see it because he knew what he was doing was wrong, right? He didn't want me to see it. That tells me that at the time, he was very clear of mommy and daddy's expectations for him. And he was very clear at the time that that was beyond appropriate behavior. I didn't want you to see it the first time. It all makes sense in a little bit. So Jesus' followers, apparently they were having problems praying, they didn't really know what they were doing. They just couldn't get it down. So they went, they went to their teacher, their master, Jesus, and they said, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. Like we're having a hard time praying. Will you teach us? Will you teach us to pray? And he doesn't give them a manual. He doesn't tell them, okay, do this, do this, do this. He just says, let's pray. He says, let's pray. And so he starts praying with them. And he says, our Father in heaven. So a little review. Our Father in heaven. None of us is in this alone. He doesn't say my father, pray my father. He says our father. There is a whole community of people. We are intimately connected, even with those we have problems with, right? Our father. God isn't just some idea that we human beings have conjured up in our brains to make us feel better. God isn't some sort of cosmic force that we can learn how to manipulate and control. No, God is a loving father who desperately wants to be in relationship with us. God is a, a loving father who on a regular basis wants to hear from his kids, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Show us your glory, O God. Show us just how big and great and grand you are. Show us your otherness. Give us an experience of just how how big and awesome and how all-knowing and all-powerful you really are. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we know that you're out there in the world. 
and you're taking that which is wrong in the world and you're making it right again. Show us how and show us where and we'll join you. We want to be a part of that. Give us this day our daily bread. God, if we're going to be kingdom-oriented people, if we're going to partner with you in doing, in, in making what's wrong in the world right again, then we are going to need some help because our lives are weak, brittle, breakable. Our lives are, are fragile and we need you to provide. We just want enough for today. We don't want to store up for tomorrow or years and years to come so that we can sort of save ourselves. We just need enough for today because we put our trust in you. And then the prayer goes on. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, forgive us our debts. Oh, forgive us. Don't miss the stunning progression of this prayer. Because in reality, it is so perfect and beautiful. So here's what we're doing. We're asking God to, to show us God's otherness, to show us God's glory, to show us God's holiness, right? And then we ask God to show us where God is working in the world, making what's wrong in the world right again so that we can join in. And it's when we experience the power and the presence of God that we realize who we've become, there's so much wrong in the world because of us. The world needs fixing because of us. We're all me messing up in our own living rooms when we realize, oh, the divine is watching. And it's then that we understand how far we've fallen from the expectations that God has for us. We do things we know we ought not to do. And we think to ourselves, I really didn't want you to see that, God. You see, it takes an encounter with the Holy One to make us aware of our unholiness. It takes an encounter with the giver of life to make us aware of our, of our deficit of life. So Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive us for not being honest with each other. Forgive us for distorting the truth. Forgive us for building walls that separate and exclude. Forgive us. Forgive us for stealing that which does not belong to us. Forgive us for using words to deceive. Forgive us from using the gift of strength to abuse and coerce and control. Forgive us for using the wealth that you've provided for us only for us and our own selfish ambitions. Forgive us for keeping those who have nothing as far away from us as we possibly can so that we don't have to give of ourselves. Forgive us for making the same dumb mistake over and over and over and over again. Forgive us for you fill in the blank. Forgive us our debts. Here's a question for you. Why should we expect forgiveness? 
Why should we expect to get what we don't deserve? I mean, why do we even pray those words? I mean, God is holy, perfect perfection, and God wants us to be holy too, and we're not. Why does Jesus insist that God will forgive us if we just simply ask for it? Forgive us our debts. Why does he insist that God will actually forgive us if we just ask for it? I'll tell you why. Our Father, that's why. It goes back to the overarching claim that we made at the beginning of this prayer. Our Father, God is a loving Father who longs to be in a relationship with us. Yes, God is holy, but God is also love. God is holy love. When you put those two things together, you know what you get? Holy love, you get forgiveness, right? Nothing you've done in your past, nothing you've done in your past can ever separate you from the one who made you. Nothing. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere we can go to get away from the love of God. The Father will do anything to be in relationship with the ones he's created. God showed his great love for us in that while we were still making a mess of things and ruining the lives of others, Christ died for us. Oh, perfect perfection, holy love, self-giving love hanging on a cross. We are forgiven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. No, he goes further. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there seems to be this unbreakable connection between God's forgiving us and us forgiving others. You see, God's forgiveness is transformational. This holy love transforms us into people who are then able to forgive. Friends, it's a reality you'll find over and over and over again on the pages of this book. An experience of God's love, an experience of God's grace, an experience of God's mercy transforms us weak human beings into people who are able to show God's love and grace and mercy then to the world. God's forgiveness, God's holy love is transformational. It actually changes us. It makes us new. At least it should. Jesus, a little later on in in Matthew's telling of the Jesus story, we find Jesus telling this other story, which I think is is fascinating. So I'm going to paraphrase it for you. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there lived a king. He didn't say once upon a time. He said it a different way. That's just how we talk. Once upon a time, there was a king. King had a servant who borrowed like a million dollars from him, but he wasn't even close to having the ability to pay it back, not even a cent. So the king was going to have him thrown in jail, but the servant fell to his face at the feet of the king and begged for mercy. Please, king, please, your majesty, be compassionate and patient with me, and I promise you, I will pay it back. And for some reason, the king was filled with compassion and right there canceled the man's debt totally and set him free. Well, then that servant went and found another servant who owed him a few bucks. 
And he went up to him and angrily grabbed him by the throat. And he said, pay me back the money you owe me. Well, that servant fell to his knees at the feet of the other servant and said, be compassionate, be patient with me, and I will pay you back everything I owe you. He didn't. He threw the man in jail. Well, the other king's servants were looking around, and they saw that, and they're like, what's up with that? So they went to the king and told the king everything. And the king went back to the original servant, whose debt had been canceled, and he said, you are a wicked man. Who do you think you are? You begged for me to have compassion on you, and I gave it to you. Don't you think you should show the same kind of compassion that I showed you to your fellow servants? And he had him thrown in jail to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed him. There seems to be like this unbreakable connection between God forgiving us and us forgiving others. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. An experience of God's love, an experience of God's grace, an experience of God's mercy transforms us into people who offer radically God's love and grace and mercy to the world around us. God's forgiveness is transformational. Are you starting to realize what this prayer actually does? Like, we spend so much of our time asking God to change our circumstances, to fix what's happening to us, only to find out later, sometimes it's just from looking back, that in our praying, God actually changes us. God actually transforms us. God actually makes us new. So sometimes we have problems praying. We all do. Like, how long should I pray? How short? How many words? What kind of words? Can I use normal ones or do I have to use like flowery? How do you become a professional prayer? Like, do I have to pray with flowery words like you find in the Psalms? Do I stand? Do I have to sit? Do I lay prostrate on the ground? What about my eyes? Do I have my eyes open or do I have my eyes closed? Do I have my head up? Do I have my head bowed? Do I, what do I do with my hands? Do I fold them? Do I, do I put them to the sky? None of that matters. None of it. It doesn't matter. Because if enough of us, I think, start praying this prayer on a regular basis, I mean really prayed this prayer, and you can do it slowly too, you can pray each little line and then just riff off of it. Just extend it. Extend the meaning of it as you pray. If we really prayed this prayer, we might just be changed ourselves. We might be transformed. We, we might become a little more aware of the temptations that are around us and have a little bit more of an ability to lean into the protection that God actually gives us all the time. We might just become a little less full of ourselves. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and a little more aware of the presence of God in our lives every single moment of every single day. We might just be changed and transformed so that we look like a bunch of little Jesuses running around in this world, just blessing the world. 
That's what the word Christian means, right? A little Christ. Little Jesus is running around in this world just blessing everyone. So pray this prayer. Just do it. I dare you. I dare you to pray this prayer and to pray it often. Every day. I dare you. Just see what happens. In fact, why don't we just end by doing that together? Let's start right now. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.